Klein Agency Insurance Brokers has been ranked among the best educators and specialists in HOA insurance, and client service is their number one priority. Visit KleinAgency.com to learn more, and Klein is spelled C-L-I-N-E. And now, stay tuned for the next episode. Hello and welcome to the HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello, and welcome to the HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing electronic vehicle charging stations and solar panels in community associations. With me today is Brian D. Moreno of the Moreno Law Corporation. Brian has been practicing common interest development law since 2003. In 2013, Brian was just the 20th attorney to be admitted to CAI's College of Community Association Lawyers. He's very active in CAI, serving on numerous committees for multiple chapters over the years, as well as the National Law Seminar Planning Committee and the California Legislative Action Committee. When he's not practicing law and refereeing board meetings, Brian enjoys spending time with his wife and two kids. And fun fact, Brian and I actually went to the same high school together where we competed on the same speech and debate team. Right, Brian? (laughs) That's right, Ryan. (laughs) Good times. That was a long time ago. Yeah, way too long ago. All right, so let's first talk about electronic vehicle charging stations. What do our listeners need to know about them? Well, it's a uh, great topic, Ryan. I think that what the listeners should know is that the California legislature has gone to great lengths to make sure that they're encouraging homeowner associations to allow electronic vehicle charging stations. And What they did was impose several statutory requirements on HOAs, and basically, I'll just I'll just read you a a quote from the statute: "Any restriction which prohibits or restricts the installation or use of an electronic vehicle charging station in a common interest development is void and unenforceable." Which means that they really want associations to use them. They're encouraging homeowners to install them, and they're really tying the hands of HOAs who impose, you know, significant restrictions on those types of architectural changes in the communities. So the state essentially wants us to go as green as we want to go. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, so they, the, the legislature, which is a good thing, I think, you know, in the last five years, electronic vehicle charging stations, the technology has ramped up. The number of EV vehicles has increased, obviously, and, you know, there's there's a significant need. So they're trying to figure out ways where homeowners and HOAs can install them, and they're trying to balance out everyone's rights, responsibilities to fit that need. So they're taking away any restrictions or obstacles from, that prevent an owner from installing one, but surely they are adding requirements that must be met on the part of the owner to install one, right? Correct. Correct. So, for example, as an association, you can still impose restrictions. You can still require the homeowner to go through the architectural request process where they fill out an application and, you know, they ask the association for permission to install one. And then, you know, when the association approves it, which um, almost always they will have to, the association can impose certain restrictions like they have to 
contractor. They have to get permits if those are necessary. They have to pay for the electric usage, those sorts of things. And provide insurance? Provide insurance, correct. And that's custom in the industry. And I think the legislature actually got it right on that point because associations just want to make sure that if if a homeowner is going to install an electronic vehicle charging station uh, or make some significant change that, you know, both the contractor is insured and that the association is added as an additional insured on that policy. So obviously you're going to want to have involvement with your insurance broker on that. Well, now that brings up another question. So the insurance that's required of this individual, are they required to insure the property value of it? So insure it for property and liability coverage? Well, right. Yes. The association always has its master policy. Right. And that's going to cover the common areas and certain other elements of the community. But what the association can also do with regard to an electronic vehicle charging station, architectural application is require that the homeowner get a separate insurance policy to cover, you know, whatever damage may be incurred as a result of, you know, things that may happen with the charging station. That's interesting because, you know, once something is permanently installed on the building, most property carriers, most master policy carriers are going to cover that item as part of the real property that is, uh, you know, permanently installed and attached fixture. Correct. So. Presumably, you could have duplicate coverage there. You'd have the master policy covering that electronic vehicle charging station, and then you've got the individual also covering it, but also adding the association as the additionally insured in regards to the liability of that. Correct. That's really why the association is going to want to get the insurance broker involved and as part of that discussion. Because there may be a policy that where, you know, the association looks at it and says, well, this is sufficient. We don't really need anything. Or it may be beneficial to have additional coverage on certain other elements. So just having that discussion with the association's insurance broker is really critical on that particular point. Now, once installed, uh, you know, if the owner is paying for this, this charging station, would other owners in the association be prohibited from using it? How would that work? Well, it just it just depends on what type of charging station we're talking about because sometimes the homeowner will want his or her own charging station that's affixed to their parking space or parking garage, and in which case they're going to be fronting all the costs. They're going to be paying for everything. And then they can exclude other homeowners from using it. You also have a scenario where the homeowner may be encouraging the HOA to install a charging station in the common area where it's going to be used by the general population. So it just it really depends on who's asking for it, who's paying for it, and what the need is going forward. And as I understand it, if the space is not adequate, the association can add an additional parking space, correct? That is correct. One of the new changes that came about with the Davis-Sterling Act on this point is that the association can create an additional parking space. It's really beneficial in the sense that under normal circumstances, the association cannot 
simply just give common area to one particular homeowner without getting membership approval. But the legislature has created an exception on EV charging stations to say that, you know, if there's a need there and the association is on board with installing the charging station or allowing it to be installed, that an additional parking space can be created without membership approval. That's interesting, which, uh, you know, I, I know parking is such a, an issue for so many communities. It makes me wonder what would happen to that extra space, you know, the, the space that they had before that now they're not using because they're parking in the new space. Right. And that's, that's a discussion that the association will want to have with their legal counsel to determine what sort of arrangement needs to be made. Is this going to be a temporary? Is this going to be a permanent one? Are we going to be just leasing out the additional space? Are we going to be swapping spaces? All of those property rights issues should be dealt with by the association's legal counsel and figuring out a game plan to determine you know, what's the best course of action so that there's less possibility for disputes along down the line. Now, obviously, we're moving towards more and more electronic vehicles. That's going to be, become the new norm. So we're we're kind of in the early stages of adopting this. Now, I wonder, would you recommend that associations that maybe have more than one electronic vehicle already in their community look at installing stations themselves and the association paying for it? Yeah, I, I think so. And what I would also encourage is the association to do a little bit of research with the various charging station companies to see if there's a way that the charging station companies could possibly pay for something like that. Or if the association is paying for it, figuring out what technology is really going to be suitable for that community. Because you're you're talking about making a significant change to the infrastructure, possibly. You may want to involve an electrician to see if additional electric panels or electric source will need to be installed. They're going to have to do their, their homework and their research on figuring out you know, what's the best way to deal with it. But once they figure that out, then sure, the association can install the charging station and then it it can open it up to the membership for use. And then they can figure out, you know, uh, in terms of budgeting and financials going forward, how that's all going to be funded and paid for. So the owner installing it would be paying for the uh, added electrical costs. Yes, yes. And we actually, I had a uh, community in Marina del Rey where that exact issue came up. It was an older community and the electric infrastructure was not suitable for what was being proposed. And basically the association had to tell the owner, hey, if you want to have a charging station here, that's fine, but we're going to have to upgrade the systems and infrastructure to accommodate what you're seeking. And then I guess presumably once this is installed, it would become exclusive use common area, right? So the owner would then be required to maintain that electronic vehicle charging station? Correct. And and that's that's going to be part of the legal documentation that the association will be proposing and making it as a condition of approval. You would have uh, the association's legal counsel draft a covenant running with the land, which means that, you know, it's going to bind subsequent owners and it would, it would set forth all of the different conditions and requirements 
in terms of there's property damage, if, you know, there's a lawsuit that arises out of it, you know, dealing with all the legal issues, putting it in writing and having everyone sign off on it, you know, that way everyone's on the same page in terms of, you know, what, what the rights and responsibilities are going forward. Brian, would the association need to amend their CCNRs before allowing an individual to add one of these stations? No, no. But I, I think it's, it's something worth looking at because of all the changes to the Davis-Sterling Act and all of these requirements, the association should have some sort of policy in place that deals with these issues and possibly amending its CCNRs to bring up to date all of these requirements. But to answer your question, no, you wouldn't need to have it. What I was talking about was a uh, covenant running with the land, which means it's a private agreement between the association and the applicant owner that wants to install the charging station. And then that would be recorded. It would only apply to that particular homeowner. But uh, you bring up a good point, which is amending your CCNRs to deal with this issue going forward as to any other homeowners that may make that request of the association. And I guess the reason that they wouldn't necessarily need to amend their CCNRs, even if it, uh, something like this was prohibited, uh, you know, adding a parking space or something like that, is because the California Civil Code takes precedence over the CCNRs, correct? Correct. Yeah, you've got that right. Great. So speaking of amending CCNRs, uh, while they're doing that in regards to the charging station, they probably want to take a look at the solar energy systems as well, right? Correct. That's a similar statute, and that's dealing with solar panels in a community, similar requirements, and also, similarly, the legislature is encouraging solar panels and wanting the association to allow them. So the same types of you know restrictions are imposed on an association that is in receipt of an architectural application for uh, the installation of solar panels. Uh, but the difference with solar panels is, is it's significant if you're dealing with a planned development, so single-family homes versus a condominium development. You know how that architectural application is reviewed is going to be much much different just depending on the type of community that you have. Mainly because with a condominium, the unit owner would be installing their property on HOA common area. Correct, correct. In a condominium development, the legislature made a recent change that said that you know, even though a homeowner may want to install solar panels on common area, they can do it as long as they meet the certain requirements that are set out. Namely, there's a site survey that has to be performed before the application is submitted. And the site survey is there and must be submitted because when you're installing solar panels on a particular portion of common area, whether it be you know, the roof of a uh, parking, parking structure or uh, you know, some other where it's a shared use type of situation, the legislature just wants to make sure that the homeowner that's applying for the solar panels is not hogging all of the space, so to speak. You know, they, they want to make sure that it's equitably allocated to give the homeowner a proportionate share of the space you know, compared to all of the other homeowners that are sharing that particular space. Interesting. But presumably the early adopters would have more square footage, so to speak, on the roof than uh, those later adopters. I haven't really seen a situation where 
there were competing applications and competing interests. Normally, at least the last five years that I've seen, if a homeowner makes a request to make an installation of solar panels, it's granted, and then the association goes through the same exercise as the uh, EV charging stations, which is you know, requiring that the contractor be licensed, requiring insurance, you know, any permits that are applicable, that sort of thing. And I'd like to just point out that we'd highly recommend as an insurance professional that you have your legal counsel review those contracts to make sure that the association and the management company are named additionally insured by the contractor installing those things. That's so important, Ryan, because when there's an additional insured endorsement, that means that if something goes wrong, then the association has the option to tender a claim just as a you know, first party under the policy. Right. So you're not left at the whim of the contractor or whoever else is on the policy. And beyond that, just because you've got an additional insured endorsement there, usually those, those endorsements are going to say, we indemnify such and such association as required by contract. So if it's not in the contract that they need to indemnify you and the, the language isn't to the association's benefit, then you may not have the protection that you think you do. Correct. Yep. Yep. So that's a good point. You should have uh, the association's legal counsel look at those and just make sure that the association is well protected. What are some of the other requirements uh, for installing solar systems that the uh, unit owner will have to do? Well, yeah. So you want to make sure that upon approval of the application that the association imposes certain conditions, which similar to the EV charging station, you want to make sure that the association is protected in terms of maintenance, repair, and replacement of the roof or the building components. You want to make sure that the association is indemnified if, if there's some lawsuit or if there's some damage that's caused. You may want to consult with the association's contractor or architect and see if there's a way, depending on the, the roof materials, if there is some protective underlayment or something else that can be installed to protect the roof. I actually just had a community that re-roofed their entire complex, and that was one of the concerns of the roofer was if we're going to be taking out the solar panels and then putting them back in, he just wanted to make sure that there, there was an appropriate underlayment and protection in place so that you know the, his brand new roof is not compromised or damaged in any way. So if you're looking at a re-roofing project coming up for your community, you may want to look at adding such a, a membrane or something along those lines that in the future would be sufficient to support solar systems. Correct. Correct. And from my experience, it's not really that expensive. And it's just an extra step that will protect the association and you know, protect the homeowner because if the roof is damaged or if you know, there's roof leaks or water intrusion, that just you know, opens a whole can of worms. So you want to uh, you know, be proactive and see if you can you know, head that off of the path uh, prior to it becoming a problem. Have you seen, Brian, any claims so far arising out of the installation or maintenance of electronic vehicle stations or solar panels? I have seen a water intrusion issue with regard to solar panels that were installed improperly. The homeowner installed them without architectural approval, you know, a uh, really shoddy job, and there was water intrusion, which, you know, 
as we all know in this industry, when there's water intrusion, it, it flows, you know, to various different units, different components. And then, you know, you're talking about insurance claims and possible litigation. So well, it's, um, yeah, and it's just something you want to avoid. And the master policy would would certainly decline, uh, deny any claim involving that because it was not a covered peril that caused the fracture in the the roof that let the water in. It was poor workmanship. Correct. Yeah. So then it raises the issue of, well, does the homeowner have insurance and would that be covered? And then, you know, who's going to pay for this loss because it wasn't the association's fault? Yeah, it was it was kind of a nightmare situation for the association. But luckily, the homeowner did have insurance. They had an HO6 policy that paid for everything. So that was that was helpful. But that's not always going to be the case. Mm, interesting. And uh, have you had any communities that have chosen to purchase, you know, a solar panel system just for the benefit of the, the entire community? Yes, I did have one out in, in San Diego where they did just that. It was a big job. And it required a lot of research, but they were under the impression that these applications would just continue to come in and people would want solar panels installed. And so so they just decided they were going to do it. And they got several bids and went through the research in the process and figured it out. It was expensive, but the way they look at it is, you know, everyone's going to save and everyone's going to benefit. And it's you know, going to be, uh, it's going to have an impact positively on property values. Absolutely. And an investment in the future and presumably bring down everybody's electric bill. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We would recommend that, like you suggested, notify your broker if an electronic vehicle charging station is installed or the solar panels are installed so that they can notify the carrier. It probably won't affect the premium much because, you know, we're looking at a $50,000 solar system on top of a $30 million community, it's really a drop in the, in the hat, but you want to notify them anyway. Exactly. No, that's, that's good advice, you know, because these insurance issues, especially nowadays, are so complex. And, you know, lit- litigation in California is just going to continue to happen. And so consulting with an insurance broker early on is you know, is only going to benefit the association. And now one more question that that springs to mind is presumably if the owner is paying for the installation of the solar panels or the EV stations, if they move, they're going to want to take them with them when they leave, which could also cause some, some issues. Correct. So that is going to be addressed in the covenant or agreement that we talked about, which will say if the homeowner or if the association for what you know that needs to repair the roof for whatever reason, or if the homeowner wants to take the solar panels with them when they leave, that they have to go through a certain protocol, and that you know experts have to be involved, and that you know it's done correctly so that the integrity of the roof is preserved. So that's going to be addressed in the in the agreement, and then you would also have something that says if in the process of the removal the roof is damaged or something goes wrong that the, you know, the homeowner is going to pay for that. And, you know, that could be subject to a reimbursement assessment. So that way the association is protected if there's some loss that is not covered. So, yeah, the importance of that covenant, any financial burden would then fall on the individual owner and not the association. 
Correct. And if and even if the homeowner decides that they aren't going to comply, uh, the association would have the option, not the obligation, but the option to go in, have the roofer make the, the, the appropriate repairs, and then back charge the account for the cost. Okay, speaking of non-compliance, what are the consequences for a board if they do not allow an EV or solar panel installation? Well, it's, it's pretty significant, and that's one of the things that the California legislature has imposed on associations in their most recent round of, of legislation, is they have these penalty clauses that if the association violates the statute in some way, that you're on the hook for both penalties, I think it's up to $1,000 on both statutes, both the solar panel and the EV charging station legislation. Uh, so you're, you're liable for the, the monetary penalty in addition to attorney fees and costs if a homeowner has to enforce the uh, violation in court. And, you know, as we know, that, that could be catastrophic for an association if a homeowner has to file a lawsuit and it goes to trial and, you know, the association is on the hook for all the attorney's fees that that homeowner had to incur as a result. They are penalizing the association, and so it behooves everyone to be in full compliance on both statutes. Because if not, then, you know, it, it could be very, very damaging for an association to have to defend one of those claims. And you don't want to be standing in front of that judge saying, well, we just didn't like the law. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we're seeing it again and again. Associations are, are, you know, they're getting hit. If they mess up and they violate the statute, a judge is going to say, yeah, you're, you're responsible for the monetary penalty as well as the attorney's fees and costs. You don't want to be on the losing side of that one. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Is there anything else uh, you, you feel like we should touch on? No, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And if you guys have any further questions or anything, feel free to, to contact me. And to that point, Brian, where would our listeners go to reach you or learn more about your firm? You can go to my website. It's www.moreno, M-O-R-E-N-O, dot law. So no, no dot com, just dot law. www.moreno.law. Perfect. Thank you so much. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on The HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics in discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.